This is the Alpaca Podcast for all things alpaca. If you're an owner, a soon-to-be owner, a want-to-be owner, or are just alpaca mad or love the fleece, welcome to the Alpaca Tribe. I'm Steve Hetherington. Hi, Steve here. Welcome to the latest episode of the Alpaca Tribe podcast. Episode 15 welcomes an old friend. I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. A friend of old, Julie Taylor-Brown. She's been an inspiration to me of how much can be done to work with our animals to achieve happy and healthy alpacas. Following our first brief meeting, I did some training with her and came to so appreciate her heart and ethos in the way she approaches caring for and handling alpacas, and indeed their bigger cousins, the llamas. I hope you catch something of her heart as we discuss how she got started, and what other new owners could helpfully take into account in their alpaca journeys. Here is Julie Taylor-Brown. Julie, it is so good to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for giving me some time, and it's great to catch up with you again as well. So it's good. it's been a while, actually. I can't remember how many years, but it's been a few years since we last spoke. Yes. Yeah. So my first question is always to, to, to the guest, when did you meet your first alpaca, and how did it make you feel? I met my first alpaca in 1999. Uh, we'd bought our farm, which uh, was a 60, well, I think it was only 30 acres then, a 30-acre farm in 1998, and we were looking for something to farm that uh, didn't involve killing. So right. my father had suggested to us that we got um, buffalo, buffalo and raised right. them buffalo for the mozzarella. Right. And uh, I didn't think that was such a great idea. <laughs> and then he suggested alpacas. And I said, you must be joking. Have you seen the price of them? Um, but <laughs> bizarrely, we saw some at uh Shortly afterwards, we saw some at Royal Cornwall Show and started to think about it from that point on. And we went to an open day in Devon and bought our first three. And I think they arrived 1999, 2000, something like that. We bought our first three pregnant females. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. So I think it was a demo. I'm trying to remember when we first met. I think it was when you were doing a demo uh, at one of the shows and, and that was the Camelid Dynamics, the, the handling mm-hmm. side of things. That's right. How, how long after you started with your alpacas did you, you kind of get into the, the handling Camelid Dynamics things? It took me a while to find it. Uh, so I got my first three alpacas. Um, they, were, they were not very old, but they were mature females. Um, and uh, I'd had, you know, I'd been riding my whole life. I knew how to handle horses. I knew how to tame dogs and raise dogs so I thought it wouldn't be a problem I'd had my hands on many many different species I thought it wouldn't be a problem I found them really challenging mm. you know they they didn't like ginger nuts they'd take a carrot <laughs> they'd never let me um, put my hands on them if I tried to catch them or inject them or anything they would spit and scream and run away from me and I'm like this is really hard so uh, I went on a few husbandry courses with various different breeders and um most of them seem to be like, this is how you grab and wrestle them, little lady. And if you're not strong enough, you need to get a big man to do this for you. Oh, there's a challenge. <laughs> Which was not the right answer, no. I'm afraid. 
<laughs> there's far too many single women farming out there for me to know that is not the not the answer. So um, then I was very unfortunate and I read an article by Martin McGee Bennett in uh, maybe the um, Alpaca World or the British Alpaca Society magazine, right. which was uh, let your barns and your pastures do your handling for you. No, do your training for you. That's right. And I thought this is the first sensible thing I've ever read about alpaca handling and training. So I'm like, who is this person? And then I found out that she was in America. Big right big bummer really uh and then i found out that she was giving a course in devon this year and so um right the, the same year that the magazine yeah. came out so i'm like aha so i went on the course which was at devon which is um uh, classical and alpacas with Chas and rachel and uh was blown away at uh how good the course was and how it solved all my problems and it answered all of my questions and i just thought you know it's not a grab and wrestle kind of thing or as one of my um, students used to call it, smash and grab, which I thought was even better. <laughs> oh, yes, um, it feels like that sometimes. Like yes, well, it doesn't yeah. need to. No, absolutely. So, yeah. so I was so impressed by what she did that, um, now that must have been in 2002, 2003, um, that I you know, packed my bags and um, started to go backwards and forwards across the Atlantic to train with her and and at the same time, I was also training at Tilly Farm in Bath, who run the Tullington Touch courses as well. Right. So it okay. took me, uh, hmm, yeah, it took me two or three or four years to qualify in all of these things. But once I did, I, I hit the road and um, started to do demonstrations at shows, which is probably where you saw me. And then lots of courses all over the UK and Scandinavia and Europe. I say, so. I used to you used to travel all over the place. Yeah. I did used to travel all over the place. Yeah. Yes, I was permanently <laughs> away. My poor husband had to deliver all the alpacas here because I was always away in the summer oh, teaching goodness. courses. Right. <laughs> Good that he understood. <laughs> you trained him well. He did in the end. <laughs> oh, no, well, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And and I know that you've got llamas as well. Mm. Um, did they appear after a while as well? Well, they were they were quite funny, really, because uh, I went on the my first training course with Marty at Chas and Rachel's, and sure enough, there was a llama on the course because <laughs> Marty teaches llama and alpaca yeah. handling course, and pretty much it was the first llama that I'd ever touched ever, and she, and then I started to do the the training program with her, and she said, of course you'll need to qualify with llamas and alpacas, and I'm like, oh, I've only ever touched a llama in my entire life, so I thought, well, I'd better get one then, hadn't I? So I got my first llama. Uh, mm. I still have him, little, little Snoopy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, I think we've got, um, uh, there's nine, I have nine llamas now. Nine, um, and right. that, okay. mm, Yeah, um, most of them are rescued. Yeah. Um, and then I've got another four llamas actually on the farm at the moment who are here for, for training. They are wild and unhandled <laughs> as anything. <laughs> so you love I, a challenge, I do know. I love a challenge, and I yeah. I do like llamas, so I'm I'm happy to take them. I I know that's why I was asking because I I know that, that you've got a very uh, a big soft spot <laughs> for for llamas, um, and I've probably along with a lot of other people I've not had that much uh, contact with llamas, and they they get a bit of a bad reputation I think as being difficult and aggressive and and tending to spit, um, and I, I guess. Yes. We don't speak llama very well, and I think it's our fault, probably, no. as much as anything. Yeah, 
No, I, I really encourage everybody to get to know some llamas. They are mm. just, they are great. Um, I have a real soft spot for them, really. Uh, one of the reasons I like them so much is alpacas are a truly herd animal. You know, they're bred to be a herd animal. It's in their psyche to be a herd animal. The herd is everything to them. Actually, llamas have been selectively bred to leave the herd and go off with you and carry a big load of stuff across the Andes. And they're never happier unless they're actually doing that. Mm. So, you know, with Snoopy, my first llama, I once I got halter on him, we just used to go off along all the bridleways and mm. through the roads and scramble over hedges and have the, the most fun adventures <laughs> have with the llama and and of course, they'll wear a pack so you can put your sandwiches in there and Excellent. a picnic blanket. And oh, oh, I'm, I'm just the... thinking about <laughs> picnic blanket and pack on on one of my one of my yep. alpacas and thinking, yep. mm, maybe not. Time to you roll. <laughs> yeah, no, you can do it. I've yeah. I've, I've trained small, loads and loads of sandwiches. alpacas. No, they'll carry a lot. <laughs> well, alpacas and llamas will carry a third of their body weight. Um, right. So that's, you know, uh, uh, my my male alpacas that we trek with, they're going to be about 90 kilos. So they'll mm. carry, well, we don't give them 30 no. kilos to carry. But <laughs> that's a lot of sandwiches. Yeah. They'll carry a bottle of wine okay for you. Yeah. Oh, there you go. There you go. But Excellent. as you say, And do you find do them different? Yes, yeah. Uh, llamas do have a lot of really bad press. I, I, I don't know why it is. Everybody turns up at the farm and goes, aha, llamas, they're the ones that spit. And to be honest, they spit far less than alpacas. Right. Uh, and they probably don't kick as much either. Um, they're certainly, <laughs> they're less flighty. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, once they are trained, I would say they're probably easier um, in almost every way. Um, yeah, you just can't force them to do anything. You know, I say about an alpaca at the end of the day, as long as they're not, you know, 100 kilos, you can probably sit on it and get it to do anything really just by sitting on it. Whereas you can't do with that llama. You have to, you have to train it to cooperate with you. And so yeah, learning a few. Yeah. yeah, but they are certainly steadier. Yeah, yeah. As a rule, they are great. Yeah. So that that range of both alpacas and llamas, you've had the experience with the with the training and things. Um, what else have you got on their farm? Because I know when we visited you once, you had some other <laughs> <laughs> quite a lot of other things. Yeah, uh, still got well, we've got we've still got the goats. We breed golden Guernsey goats. Yes, we've got one that's probably due to kid tonight. So when yeah. I finish this podcast, out I will run out, yeah. run out and stare at her bottom again. <laughs> they do love that. <laughs> uh, they love that. Um, so yeah, we still breed golden Guernsey goats. Just such a lovely breed, and we we keep them for the milk, and we make mm. cheese, and uh, yeah. Uh, we've got seven equines on the farm as well, including one little rescued mule, a rescued Icelandic horse. Um, so yeah, they keep us they keep us busy. I went riding yeah. tonight; it was such a beautiful night. Mm. Um, what else have we got? We don't have sheep anymore. We kept sheep for a while. Um, we've got some poultry. Uh, we've got three cooney cooney pigs. Who oh, right. I have a lot yeah. of I have a lot of fun training them to do tricks because pigs are so clever. They are. Um, and you can clicker train them to do anything. Right. Well, well, not anything because they're they have short legs and they're very fat. <laughs> <laughs> so they are with those limitations. They can just that. about everything. Yeah. yeah. So they're pretty cool. Yeah, llamas, alpacas, the equines, the goats, and the pigs. Yeah, that's yeah. probably that. And of course, six dogs and six cats and and all the other chickens. hangers on. And, yeah. That you, you seem to accumulate. Are you still? Do you still have woofers? 
Yes, we still have woofers. Yeah, yeah. very Can good. You say willing workers. What a woofer is? Yeah. yeah, woofers are willing workers on organic farms, and they are people. I I used to say young people, um, but actually they're of all ages. They are um, people who come from all over the world, and they generally want to they want to work with animals, so they want to learn something, and um, ideally live on something that's organic or permaculture, or you know cares about cares about the environment and sustainability and and we do that too we're a county wildlife site so we do a lot of conservation work right. actually what we have now is a lot more trees than you've oh, been really? here my husband has been planting oh, trees yeah uh, yeah he's planted twenty thousand since we've been here <laughs> and now he's um, turned to forest gardening so everything he plants is um crops so lots and lots of nut trees and fruit right. trees here so oh it sounds good yeah you you're such a long way down <laughs> Into the, to the the deep and bright areas of Cornwall, um, but we need to come visit you again sometime, I think. So definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now I do know something in terms of the history of the of the place where you are, um, which it's, it's just it's a lovely story. I'd love you to tell it uh, about the 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 ex milking parlour and trying to encourage the alpacas to go in and get far enough <laughs> da- down to the end. <laughs> And how, how you achieved that? Oh yeah, that is a funny story. So I, um, so we work in pens. We find working with alpacas and llamas in small pens is the the easiest and simplest way to do it. And um, I, I, we had a big milking parlor, well, reasonable size milking parlor that I converted into an alpaca handling facility. So you go in through the main door, and then to the right and to the left are lots of small pens and then right in front of you at the end of it is a big brick wall uh, because on the other side of that there's another stable so the alpacas and the llamas they love an escape route if you have an escape route they will walk towards anything and a brick wall does not constitute an escape route so uh, they would go into the first pen on the right side and into the first pen on the left side and then into the second pen on the right side and then into the second pen on the left side and if you're really lucky they would go into the third but there was no way they would go down to the end of that that big barn because there was a big brick wall and no escape route so um i just took a tip from um the american horse barns where uh if you have one horse in a big horse barn you put a mirror up to keep it company and i just thought i wonder if that would work so i bought a big acrylic mirror put it on the wall at the end of the of the barn and they all race towards it when they saw it and they still do they (laughs) never get over the thrill of you know admiring themselves in the mirror i don't know what they're doing whether they think they're more alpacas or um, they're alpacas through a window (laughs) yeah well we we have um visitors come and they park their cars and the alpacas are out and they go and come in the car park and they come around the cars and they (laughs) do look in the mirrors they're checking themselves in the mirrors it's a really uh, so deliberate (laughs) yes yes doing some training work with somebody in Shropshire or maybe Wales and we took their llamas for a walk around the village and the person said you just watch as we go past this house and it was big picture windows and the llamas looked in it because they could see their reflection they were like oh my goodness how (laughs) handsome are we don't we look good (laughs) fantastic that's lovely okay so you've done a lot with a lot of people and I know you've had involvement with people getting started with keeping alpacas and that kind of thing. Um, so just thinking about them 
for a minute in terms of it could be people getting started or people wanting to develop their skills what do you think would be kind of the top issues that they would face and what they should be doing about it i mean for most people <laughs> you get two you get two or more alpaca owners together in the room one of the first things they talk about is toenails yes. um <laughs> It's a obsessed. So they they swap their toenail trimming horror stories, and um, and then they also they talk about the advice that they've been given, and uh, you know it just never amazes me the just terrible advice out there. So they say, well, you know, my breeder told me to turn my um, alpaca upside down like a sheep and do them with their feet in the air, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm five foot ten. I, um, you know, I'm a decent size. I could not turn a hundred kilo alpaca upside down and cope with its legs waving in the air while its neck thrashed from side to side. (laughs) I mean, that is just the worst advice ever. So, uh, so yeah, people tell, so people recount to me, A, their their horrific stories of when they tried to toenail trim. Uh, So um, my, my advice is work in a small area. Think about having a mini pen and um, do their toenails on the ground. Alpacas are prey animals. They hate their feet being handled. They really hate their legs being handled. Not so much their upper legs, but their lower legs because it affects their balance. If you're a prey animal, you fall out of balance. A predator is going to eat you. (laughs) It's it's sort of physics and um, evolution. So, uh, you know, we insist on picking their legs up all the time. And there are so many simpler ways to do things. So toenails is one of them. Um, Containment, not restraint. Always work in these small pens. Don't corner your alpaca and grab it because it's going to think that you're going to eat it. And then it's going to struggle. (laughs) So uh, I think the... The real sort of keys, what I have discovered over 20 years of working with them, is that our job is not to act like a predator and not to press their prey button. And that's where all the problems arise. And, and mostly that's about trying to hold them still while you do things mm. to them. Um, I think it's a much better idea is to give them some freedom of movement and work with them in that we won't we won't grab and wrestle you. And then you then you're allowed to move around a little bit. The exception is toenails where they're, you know, they have to stay relatively still. And there are a couple of good ways of doing that without picking up their feet. Right. Excellent. Injections mm. and injections is another one, again, where people hold them really still while they inject in the hindquarters. And um, I'm just like, oh, the hindquarters, it hurts. And then they're going to kick. And then they learn to kick anytime you go near their hindquarters. It's just a terrible, terrible place. Um, so, you know, inject if you mu- in the skin over the shoulder muscle and do it over the other side not the same side as yep. you so uh, the if the alpaca moves away from the injection it moves, it moves you. into yeah. you yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, there's some other advice for llamas because um llamas are much taller and it's are. much harder How do you to reach, reach over a llama <laughs> <laughs> especially a full-grown one mm. that, that's a whole Absolutely. nother subject yeah. well, we, won't, we won't go there tonight but yeah so <laughs> So thinking about people who are getting started, um, if people were mm. coming to you saying, I, I want to buy some alpacas and, and things, are there, are there sort of standard questions or a set of questions that you take people through so they address the issues that they need to be thinking about? Yes, because I think um, 
people, you know, um, when people buy chickens, they tend to buy a trio, which is a cockerel and two or, you know, two females. Uh, I think people initially think that's the way to buy an alpaca, um, you know, is in a group of three. So, yes, group of three. So two is not a herd. Three is a herd. Just stick to boys or girls, but don't try and mix and match. I mean, obviously, at some point you may want to have stud males. That's fine. You know, address that in the future. But start with either girls or boys. And and then you will have a happier herd and less goes wrong. And, um, you know, in a way bit like me, nobody grew up having alpacas. You know, in 10 years or so, or 20 years or so, there will be enough people out there who grew up right. having alpacas. But, you know, my generation and your generation, we had horses and dogs. And um, this is all new to us. So it's a very steep learning curve. Uh, I would say alpacas are a very steep learning curve. Keep it as simple as possible. Find a breeder who you trust and like and is going to be on the telephone who answers yeah. all of your questions all of the time. Do not buy them at auction. Um, you know, um, you don't value what you don't pay for. <laughs> it's, don't buy them at auction. Find some, find a good breeder, pay a decent price, day. get right. support because you're going to need it. Um, everything is about prevention with alpacas. It's not about cure. Alpacas are the perfect prey animal. They hide their illness until they're pretty well dead or on death's door. So, um, I mean, obviously, it's an injury. You're going to see it. Um, always prevention, 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 um, rather than Oh, they mm. seem all right. Oh, they're off their feed today. I'll wait and see what they're like tomorrow. It's prevention, prevention. The second they look a little bit wobbly, um, in mm. and vet. So, yeah, they're a steep curling, learning curve. But, but if you have a good breeder and they train you, then, um, then you'll be fine. But the owners do need support. Yeah, excellent. Thank you. That's, there's some, some, some really good advice there, particularly recognizing it's a steep learning curve. Um, and I mean, in terms of the, uh, the alpaca tribe, well, the, the main aim is to, to have confident and fulfilled owners with happy and healthy alpacas. And, and then there are things that we want to be doing part of, which is this, the podcast to, to be able to encourage that and facilitate that. Um, that that thing of having enough confidence uh, you don't want to be overconfident but you'd want to have enough confidence to be able to to do the things and not step back and and say oh, i can't mm-hmm. can't do this can't deal with it so Absolutely. what are the things you're up to now because i know you've been doing some other things and does mm. that does that sort of fit in with the the animal side of things as well it actually works quite well so um i trained in camelid dynamics i trained in tellington touch The person who started Tellington Touch was a woman called Linda Tellington-Jones. And in the 70s, she trained with a chap called Moshe Feldenkrais, who worked with people. And I sort of vaguely knew that for about 15 years and thought, I must find out more about that Feldenkrais business. What is that? So um, I started to go to Feldenkrais classes and I started to have some Feldenkrais treatments um, because I'd hurt myself. I've, I've been riding since I was a little girl. Um, I was also very sporty. I probably hurt myself far too many times. Um, so by the time I was in my mid-40s, I was pretty creaky. Right. <laughs> and so, so I found... Um, I found a Feldenkrais teacher. I had lots of lessons. Um, it helped 
enormously. And uh, so in 2011, I started to train as a Feldenkrais practitioner. And uh, I've been qualified since 2015. And uh, I do that pretty much every afternoon. Um, I have a lot of clients, I'm pretty busy. It's incredibly successful. If you don't know what it is, and you have a bad back or pretty much a bad anything, go out and find one. <laughs> right. <laughs> Links um, will be in the show notes. No, yeah. of course. Yeah. Um, and the, But the other thing is um, we still have a busy farm here. I think I've got about 35 alpacas and llamas um, here. And uh, we do trekking. Um, right. So it's the Easter holidays now. We're, we yeah. do treks nearly every day of the week. Um, the animals enjoy it. We use mostly the boys, um, mature boys. Sometimes we use the girls. And, of course, we use the llamas because the llamas love it. It's what they were born to do. Uh if I do still breed on a small scale, uh, and if we if I breed animals and I sell them, then the people who buy them get a free training course. Um, that's the way that I know my animals are going to be looked after sure. and um, and the, and nicely handled um, for the rest of their life. Um, and the other thing is, bizarrely, I've got involved in llama judging, so um, oh, really? I'm judging. Right. <laughs> <laughs> judging llamas at Newbury this year and I'm judging oh, wow. llamas at the Italian National Show in November so right. that's kind of fun as well yeah. I, I do like llamas yeah. <laughs> so yeah I'm not bored <laughs> yeah absolutely sounds like a full schedule to me but uh, there we go that, that's excellent thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge and as I say, there'll be links in the show notes. We can put things, uh, put, put people in the right direction. Um, and there's some, some key points in there again. We'll, we'll, we'll highlight those. But uh, thanks ever so much for your time. Oh, you're welcome, Steve. And um, I just want to say that on my website, which is www.carthvinalpacas.com, I have many, many, many articles that I've published over the years. And they're all free to have a look at and download. And um, lots of information and advice there so really if people are interested in finding out more have a look on the articles <laughs> yeah no I, I know there is a very good resource there so we'll make sure that's clearly signposted great thank you very much you're welcome i hope you enjoyed that as much as i did i always come away from conversations with julie feeling positive about the potential to improve my care for and experience of keeping alpacas thank you for listening I appreciate you joining me here. Check out the links in the show notes and hope to see you again soon. So, until next time with the Alpaca Tribe, I'm Steve Hetherington.